Welcome to Film Buddies with Tuesday, and Shauna came back for another episode. If you want to reintroduce yourself or introduce yourself to new listeners, here's your platform. Uh, thank you, Tuesday. Um, thank you for inviting me back. I uh, had a really good time the first time we recorded, so um, I'm excited to be a returning guest. I feel very honored to be um the second time on the podcast, uh, my name is Shauna Pinkett. I'm an actress based in New York City. However, I have been in <laughs> Connecticut since quarantine started. And thankfully, a little bit busier than the first time we recorded this episode. Yes, yeah, same. <laughs> uh, so that's been um, positive in this very stressful time. Just auditioning. And I did a table reading that uh, will be air to view for the Los Angeles downtown Los Angeles film festival on Wednesday. So things are popping. Oh, cool. Yeah. I'll talk about that at the end more, but anyway, I'm an actor. Yeah. Happy to be here. <laughs> Thank you to this day. Cool. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm happy you're, you, we were able to schedule this as our season one final episode. So I think it'll be really, really informative and, and kind of eye-opening for, for some. Oh, yeah. Cool. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. Um, so, yeah, I hope, I hope so. Um, but this episode, we're going to talk about Julie Dash and Issa Rae. And I guess we'll start with Julie since her career um, preempts Issa's by a couple decades. Mm-hmm. She was born in Queens in the early 50s and raised in Long Island City. And anytime someone's from the New York area, now that I live here, I'm like, oh, I know where all these neighborhoods are. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's a little bit of it, it feels as if the story is more familiar just just on that alone, you know. Agreed. I agree. And she studied psychology before starting her film education, which I thought was pretty interesting. And, and then when you see her films, you can see kind of how psychology plays into societal stories that she's telling and cultural stories she's telling. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, well, I am a psych major, even though that's not exactly what my major was called. It was biological basis of behavior. But mm. being a person who studies psychology being a person who is an actor interested in the arts, you're always interested in human behavior, and that's definitely mm -hmm. seen in her film work. So it makes yeah. sense. Maybe that's a common thing for people in our industry because I got my minor in psychology. Oh, look, see, there we're just go. like we 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 need to understand how people operate in order to put them on film. Exactly, or I mean, an ongoing emulate process. them. Yes. It, I mean, I love people watching and mentioning New York City. It's a great place to people watch. And mm -hmm. I mean, I, based on everything that's happening in the world, I still am so far from understanding human behavior, but it's very interesting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's very interesting. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. It's like every day you wake up and go, oh, that's not what I expected, but okay. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she graduated with a bachelor's in 1974 from um, one of the city colleges of New York and then moved to LA, went to the AFI Conservatory, which is still a huge deal for up-and-coming directors, writers, producers, and then um, attended graduate school at UCLA. So she was definitely well-educated going into her career. 
which is cool. I think they tell you you don't really need film education, but then you see, you know, someone's got all this education and made a really groundbreaking film. So it's not so bad to go to school all that all that long. It, it's not so bad at all. I think going yeah. to school, being an actor who didn't go through the traditional route of getting my acting degree in college, mm-hmm. it, I think it's an easier route if you go to school because your teachers will point you to great source material that will help inform your, your art and your projects. Whereas mm-hmm. if you don't, you kind of have to find those things on your own. It's a little bit more difficult. It's a little bit less of a guided journey unless you do go to school. So, mm-hmm. I mean, definitely helpful. And she also studied at the Studio Museum of Harlem, which I thought was just a museum <laughs> because I've actually never been. I've yeah. only been on the outside. I tried to go. It was closed. Anyway, I, I'm going to have to go and do a little bit more research. But she was able to actually learn a lot about filmmaking there as well on top of her other education so she has a world of experience under her belt Mm -hmm. i think that's really cool and then uh just to like both her experiences in new york and la seem to like have really shaped her background going into her like creating her art yeah because it was also very volatile times when she was coming up so there were a lot of revolutionary things happening especially in new york with like the black panthers and the the civil rights movement when she was a a child in in that time in the mid-1960s but i mean all of those Mm -hmm. things were roiling inside and i think that also informed a lot of the work that she ended up putting out and being on both coasts in new york city things are happening and in la there's a lot of uh, protest and things happening in those times mm-hmm. helped inform her work as well. And also, there's the Vietnam War happening during that time as well. Like, there's just so much going on in the mm-hmm. United States. It's almost like what's happening now. <laughs> there's so much going on. More cool. Uh, <laughs> um, I thought it was neat that she's part of what is called the LA Rebellion. It doesn't seem like there was a name for it at the time, but looking back, historians and, well, film historians have been like, we'll call that the L.A. Rebellion. Um, but it's just a series of filmmakers from the 1960s and 1980s, specifically black film students from UCLA, who were more interested in, like, world cinema mm-hmm. and weren't making traditional Hollywood-type films, which I thought was cool. And obviously, audiences want something that's just not the same all the time. Yes, uh, agreed. So a lot of international filmmakers were doing out-of-the-box things, which her films were out-of-the-box things, so you can see that influence, whereas uh, Hollywood had a very rigid formula that they stuck to, which it seems... And and we still stick to, yeah. (laughs) We still do, unfortunately. uh, Mm -hmm. But we'll get into that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, there are a couple of her shorts. I was surprised I could find them online. Um, Four Women, which is, I think it's about four or five minutes. And it features a song by Nina Simone, also called Four Women. That song was incredible. Thank you for introducing me to that. Because it was, first of all, even though you 
sent me the information you said four women featuring a song of the same title by Nina Simone. I listened to mm-hmm. the whole song. And I was like, who is this woman? <laughs> she is amazing. Is that Sarah Vaughn? Who is that? And then I felt right. really wrong when I was like, oh, right, it's Nina Simone, which then I had the realization, I need to listen to more Nina Simone music because her voice is so powerful and visceral and coupled with the, the dance mm-hmm. and imagery in that film, it, it was very powerful and, and actually reminded me a little bit because in the beginning, the woman is dancing inside of a sheer kind of mesh-like fabric. Mm-hmm. And strangely, it reminded me of the music video Kiss by Prince. I don't know if you've ever seen oh, it. Oh, interesting. There's yeah. a woman and she is doing dance and she is inside of a sheer fabric. And I was like, I wonder if Prince was influenced by, by Julie in that way, because he was also a very interesting character. Maybe. Yeah. That's an interesting theory. Like why wouldn't he have known, you know, it would make sense. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that's just a common design element they chose in the seventies. I think it is very specific, very specific, very powerful imagery, which, um, Julie Dash specializes in. And also, mm-hmm. one more thing about this song that clearly blew my mind. <laughs> the end line is, uh, my name is, I think she said Peaches or something like that. I can't exactly remember what my name is. And then that that theme running throughout, she says throughout the song, my name is, my name is portraying the four different women that she's talking mm-hmm. about in the lyrics. And that reminded me of the recent episode of Lovecraft Country. I don't know if you've seen that show. Uh, and the woman, there's an episode called I Am Hippolyta, and it's about a black woman. And she basically travels through space and time to the past and is able to be different women and feel empowered and find her inner power. So I just thought that was an interesting. Quality. Wow, that is cool. That's on one of my to watch lists when I have binge time. You are going to love it, or you are going yeah. to hate it. So let me know <laughs> I, I which side it. I fall on. Yeah, let me know which side you fall. I personally love it, but you know, not everybody loves it. Yeah, I I get that because it's like sci-fi and drama and fantasy and fantasy, and it's a little bit of trauma porn because it is dealing mm. with racism and all of the fear and danger behind that so i don't know anyway gotcha but yeah so for women (laughs) it won (laughs) no i think that's a cool parallel that you know whether or not it is influenced that they can be connected i mean i would have to imagine it was because julie dash influenced so much of black cinema Mm -hmm. which we will talk about and i I would be very surprised if we did not touch every single black filmmaker in some way that is creating material now. Mm-hmm. I do think it's cool to know, or maybe it's important to note, rather than just being cool, that Four Women, that short won Best Short Film Made by a Woman, which is a very absurd title for an awards category. Yeah, but, but but she did win best. Let's just call it best short film by the Miami International Film Festival in 1974, and that she's letting us watch it for free on her website is also really cool. Yeah, I would encourage everyone to check it out. Yep. 
And the other one people can watch, I think it's also on her website. It's um, called Illusions, or maybe it's on YouTube. And that is a film she made a few years after Four Women and is set in the 40s and explored racial and sexual discrimination in Hollywood. Also won awards. So her early work was doing the rounds, doing really well. It was, and it was it was giving a message and had a commentary that wasn't so in your face that it was annoying. Because I really don't like mm-hmm. that. I personally don't like that kind of message. It's like, okay, and we're winding up. Here's the message. Right. I, <laughs> that is, I don't think that's, I don't believe that to be effective storytelling. This, you get immersed in the story and mm-hmm. you learn something because of the story not because it is shoved down your throat right which i think is a mark of really good filmmaking and directing and writing on her part and for filmmakers that also can do that well i instead of the more preachy version of like bye george you're gonna understand my point by the end of this film you know absolutely preachy (laughs) is the exact right word i just saw film the other day that was just like that and it was all this exposition in the last the last act of the film, last second to last scene, and I was like, "Oh, this is gross! I can't stand this." Yeah, like, I get it. I won't, I won't tell you. I'll tell you the film off off mic, off the record. I mean, work one day. So <laughs> I know I do the same thing where I'll I'll be thinking of I'll be writing like little reviews on Instagram of films I've seen and then I'm just going this is not a good movie at all and then I'm going but also please hire me I know exactly just understand that I will critique the work that you do right and I I think that is important but it's also important to get paid so it's a uh, very yeah. tough line tough line that we have to to walk. <laughs> right yeah like it's it's art but it's marketing dun, dun, dun. Right. um yes but so about a decade after illusion so from 1982 when that came out to the late 80s she received eight hundred thousand dollars from pbs to go into production on daughters of the dust which came out i think it was 1991 mm-hmm. yes so I think that's cool. I mean, it's not quite a decade, but just about that she she had been writing that, though, for quite a while. Yes, and she was trying to get this film made and get funding for it, and she wasn't able to because people, it was too, I guess, obtuse of an idea for certain studios or producers to grasp. So thankfully, mm-hmm. PBS gave her the money to mm-hmm. make it, I mean, 800K is a very small indie budget for this type right. of film. You see it because it is incredible imagery and a huge cast. Mm-hmm. But we made it work. So God bless her. Yeah. God bless PBS. Yeah, for sure. I think um, I was surprised because when I read about the film before watching it, so it's set in 1902 off the Georgia coast and uses the dialogue or dialect known as Gullah. And mm-hmm. so I was expecting that it would be less easy for me to understand because it's a mixture of English and other languages. So I, I was surprised that it was very accessible for a, just a general audience. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, there were definitely 
I mean, to, to be frank, to be quite honest, there's sometimes when things are on reg- on television and people are speaking English and I have no idea what they're saying and I have to read the subtitles. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>, same. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't understand a lot of the words, but the story is told in such a way that that's okay because you mm-hmm. are immersed in the story. So you still understand what's happening, even if you don't understand every single word that they're saying because she right. actually opted to make this film without subtitles so you mm-hmm. could be immersed in the story and not focused on what they're actually saying and i think that says something about her choices as a director and a writer and how mm-hmm. she wants to tell her stories and how she wants people to experience them she wants you to be in the film basically mm-hmm. and i, I was <laughs> <laughs> yeah i thought when I was watching, I already knew that it had won the Cinematography Award from Sundance. And so when I was watching, I still found myself going, wow, that's a beautiful shot. Wow, that's a beautiful shot. Wow, this looks like a painting, you know? Mm-hmm. I was like, I, I see why they won that award. It was very beautiful. It was very beautiful. The cine- cinematographer's name um, is Arthur Jaffa. He actually also ended up directing, well, ended up directing several things, one of them, notably, uh, two Solange videos, one being Cranes in the Sky. If you've oh, ever interesting. seen that video, it is mm-hmm. so beautiful and artistic. It really is. Art. Wow, that makes sense because the visual eye he has, is it is very, um, it just makes me feel like I, I'm in an art gallery or an art museum. Absolutely. The I mean, first of all, it was just wonderful to see so many beautiful black people on screen so that already made me very excited and then <laughs> the, the aesthetic the, mm-hmm. the they're at the beach the the food that they mm-hmm. had and how they were meticulously making it and the music i do remember when this film came out i don't <laughs> I, do <laughs> I don't want to talk about how old right. I am, but um i do remember being young enough that I'm not sure who was watching it. Maybe my parents or maybe they were at a friend's house. I mean, I had no idea what was going on, but I remember the music because there's just this visceral feeling that it gives you. Again, the soundtrack was composed by John Barnes. And there are these instruments I couldn't quite place, but they sounded perfectly blended with the, the tone and the arc of the story that was being told. Yeah, it seemed like they're not entirely, I guess, what we would consider modern instruments. It seems like some of them had a more historical flair. Yes, they. I think when I looked it up, they were using the Middle Eastern santor, and I apologize if I'm pronouncing this completely wrong. Uh, <laughs> the African bata and talking drums were some of the traditional okay. instruments that they used. And I just loved that sound. That's Whatever cool. that sound that was throughout the film, the wow, mm. I can't even describe it. <laughs> it's not what it sounded like, but <laughs> I loved that sound. Yeah, it was, it was really do- well done. Like, she's on such a small budget, but was able to pay attention to, like, very crucial details across every aspect. And even the performances, I thought, you know, they're not, they're really subdued in a way. Mm-hmm. Like no one's really, none of the performances are, are extravagant. They all feel very real and grounded in, in reality. 
I agree with that for sure. I, again, I, I felt like I was, I was there. I was one of mm-hmm. the family members that was listening to you know, my great grandmother speak and hearing mm-hmm. old stories. And I was immersed in that because it just felt that real. It's, it was very great. And so I see why when Daughters of the Dust came out, people were like, wow, this is really a great film. We see, a, you know, a bright future for Julie Dash. And then it's frustrating and relatively disturbing to learn that after that, she's really struggled to get future projects off the ground. Yes. She has continued to work in all sorts of facets of the industry, but this was her only feature film, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So she's done TV, she's done music videos, she's done all sorts of short films for museums, but this was her only feature film. And I think that is unfortunate. It just kind of speaks to the closed-mindedness of, of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I had a question when I presented this to you like months ago is was she actually blacklisted which i think maybe the article you sent um that i didn't have a chance to read talks about it or is it just like a uh what do they call it like a function of this existing system the like the existing like hollywood machine or right yeah like is it just that her film operates outside that therefore they have no issue being exclusive about their system or is it specifically that she's making something different with a message and is like a black female filmmaker that leads Hollywood to go no thanks I think it was all those things because this was a critically acclaimed film but I it seemed that studios didn't understand how they would be able to sell something like this so they potentially attached her to this sort of art house sort of film and didn't believe that they could sell her style. But also she's a black female director in the early nineties. And there was, this is kind of what this article discusses that I read Um, there. These young black filmmakers in the early nineties were essentially set up to fail. So they had successful films and then they would have representation and they were like the black person. They were like the only black person for their agency and all their hopes were riding on this one black person. So there was a lot of pressure. And so mm-hmm. if their next film wasn't super successful, that was it. They were they were they were cut. They were in director jail because they didn't make the money back on their follow up films. And that was it. They didn't get second chances as black filmmakers, whereas a lot of uh, white filmmakers get lots of chances, have lots of mm-hmm. flops and oh, yeah. fail up. But that wasn't the case for these young black filmmakers in the early 90s. I s- that would make a lot of sense that I hear a lot about director jail when it's like not white men specifically in the industry. Okay. Which is interesting. I mean, it makes sense based on how the U.S. has been functioning, but (laughs) but it seems to become uh, a more common term that people are becoming familiar with of, oh, okay, like if if, um, Barry Jenkins suddenly was not making a film for a decade, I would assume that he has been put in director jail. 
That's, you know, that's interesting. That's not a term that I was familiar with until I read this article. And I, when I first, um, before I read the article, and I think in the headline, it said something about director jail or the byline or the log line, whatever the heck it's called. Anyway, so <laughs> I was like, oh, that sounds like serious. Like, what did they do? They must have offended somebody to get put in director jail. <laughs> yeah, you know, my film, it just it just performed just under budget. And so right, yeah, not work with me anymore. I was like, oh, that's it? Dang. Yeah, it's like I got an A minus, not an A plus. And so now that's- I'm not allowed to do anything exactly so i think unfortunately julie dash was she didn't really get the opportunity to make the next thing but there Mm -hmm. were all these other pressures that were happening with other young black filmmakers that were causing a lot of inequities in her being able to have opportunities Mm -hmm. and we do see it's something that still continues to today because we we had was it two years in a row now this Oscar's so white thing, like get it together, Hollywood. Oh, I know Hollywood, Hollywood, Hollywood. <laughs> like, I've learned nothing from doing this podcast. It's Hollywood, you got a right. lot of work to do. You got a lot of work to do, Hollywood. <laughs> Shakes fist at Hollywood. Um, but daughters of the dust was inducted into the national film registry which i thought was pretty cool um alongside schindler's list and ben-hur so it's in good company it is what we consider quality agreed it it was already considered an iconic film before that but i'm glad that Mm -hmm. dash was able to have that extra recognition i'm i'm not a director but i'm an actor and sometimes you never feel like your work is good enough Mm-hmm. And so I, being a creative person in general, I think that's a, a feeling that you can get around your work. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad she was able to have this sort of recognition just so sh- she knows yeah, your work is dope, Julie. So mm-hmm. you should do that. This was a great film. Right. Yeah. I, I hope that it gave some, like a, a glimmer of light, you know, it's I not, so. ent- yeah. I mean, although like. I guess, how important is the National Film Registry? I don't know. But still, I think it's cool. It's always nice to get recognition. Yeah. And Beyonce uh, um, actually uh, also seems to have used Daughters of the Dust for inspiration for Lemonade. Lemonade. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, mean, I think that's really cool. Yeah, Beyonce. You get the gold stamp of Beyonce. What more do you need? Mm-hmm. Get the National <laughs> Film Registry. Beyonce. She just needs to be able to make her second feature. Right? You know, you know, un, undisturbed. Let me call Beyonce so that I can... Yeah. <laughs> We're like, I know you have 800K. Oh, Beyonce? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but speaking on the, like, industry versus or studio system, I think it's a good point to transition to Issa because she started making content she is just interested to make outside of the system entirely thanks to youtube yes i think that's a huge part of her success and something that she's acknowledged is that she was able to work around the gatekeepers to Mm -hmm. help bolster her success now of course she then had to she had some difficulty with the gatekeepers and getting her show to network but she rose to fame because of her ability to mm-hmm. get on YouTube herself and raise money herself. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so she was born in Los Angeles in the 80s and was raised in Maryland, Senegal, and Los Angeles, which I think is interesting that she has this, like, multi-regional childhood. Yes, I had actually no idea that she had... I thought she was just grew up in Los Angeles, so it was very interesting that she kind of had this uh, international experience, which probably contributed to her her writing and her being able to be an awkward black girl and speak from that mm-hmm. experience. And it seems like it, when people do travel, especially when they're younger, it allows them to view the world with different lenses. It's not like, oh, I was born in the Midwest and that kind of, and I lived there until I was an adult. So of course it's going to taint how I view the world. But if I had lived in three different places, all very different, I think the perspective would be greater. Exactly. And it makes you, it makes you out of the norm. It makes you different to other kids. Cause when you're a kid, mm-hmm. well, I think this is different for kids now. Thank goodness. But I think when we were growing up, it was all about sameness. If you were mm-hmm. out of the norm, I was like, Oh, what's wrong with you? Right. <laughs> <laughs> we seem to have had that experience because she had a hard time fitting in before she got to high school mm-hmm. because of her life experiences. She wasn't like a lot of the other kids. Yeah, and no one wants to be the new kid in school. No, they don't. <laughs> um, I didn't realize that she went to Stanford. I thought that was impressive that she she went to Stanford, graduated with a Bachelor of Arts in African and African American Studies. But while she was there, she was already working on YouTube series on the side. One of them was called Dorm Diaries that was a fake reality show. And I thought, that's really cool. that it, She met the right people there and and like film partners there to help her take the next step at the New York Film Academy and with her theater fellowship at the Public Theater in New York City. Yeah, she made some great connections and also just started started her craft on her own ad hoc. I mean, I I didn't try to like Google the dorm diaries, but it sounds like it was super funny. So mm-hmm. <laughs> the format being like a real world style reality show and everyone's with all with an all black cast, I think is the beginnings of her desire to create material from the black experience. But to, to poke fun at it from an inside, an insider view. Mm-hmm. I also think it's interesting she met, so Tracy Oliver, who I think just co-produced or produced The Misadventures of Awkward Black Girl, that mm-hmm. together they made the pilot episode, and the pilot episode went viral, which I didn't realize when I had seen it, that it was like they made one episode, it went viral, and that's how they were able to leverage raising money for the rest of the season i had thought it was just like they made you know a season and hope for the best yeah but i guess that the latter is more my experience so i just assume (laughs) that's what everyone else does right well i mean it, (laughs) it kind of makes sense in that it's they raise the money to shoot just the pilot because the money to shoot an entire season is like a lot of money so <laughs> they shot the first one and then they raised the money right mm. that's how 
Yeah. Um, I remember when this came out and it was so interesting because I watched it on YouTube and at that time it was, it was very indie. So, you know, there was a Facebook page. I went to the Facebook page. I like friended her on Facebook. I was like, Oh my God, I'm an awkward black girl too. I love the show. And she like replied to me. I mean, that is how grassroots from the ground up this started. I mean, she's just replying to people like, thanks for watching my show. And, yeah that's cool yeah that's not gonna happen now but (laughs) (laughs) i I still watch your show (laughs) and i message your friends on facebook you remember me yeah (laughs) yeah it's only been about eight years nine years right can i get on your show uh thank you please um it's also cool to know that for the second season of awkward black girl she partnered with pharrell which i also didn't realize that he was like, let's premiere this on my YouTube. It's very neat. Yes, I remember his I Am Other initiative. I think I actually auditioned for something that never ended up getting getting off the ground, such as the life of an actor. Pharrell, call me. Tracy Oliver, call me. I auditioned for right. <laughs> I, Give me another shot. <laughs> also, Larry Wilmore, since he's I working on, I think he's one of the folks behind it insecure and has been yeah. working with Issa on that. Yes, he is. He helped her helped her craft that season and he's incredibly talented. I wish that he mm-hmm. still had a late night talk show, but there was some there was some drama around that. Which I don't agree oh, with Larry. I he still had it, but no, wow. I mean unless it came back, but I know he had one and then he didn't. I mean he's fine. He's gonna be all right. He's very talented. Yeah. Um, Larry, call me. I want to work with you too. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, I feel like he's in so much that has done really well. And when you go out to the IMDb page for the the movie or the television show, he's there. He is. Yeah, he's. Yeah. He definitely helped. Seems to have helped her hone her voice on this mm-hmm. show while still keeping a lot of elements of awkward black girl. Because yeah. it seems that she was on quite a journey to get this so show pitched and produced from several different networks who wanted to change it, who didn't understand what she wanted, who weren't really buying into the idea of like a black female as the center of the show. So I'm glad that they connected and he was able to preserve her voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that is a really important note. It is. Um, it's there. I can only imagine how hard it was for Julie Dash in, right. in the 80s and 90s to get produced if in present day Issa Rae who already has a, a YouTube following and already has actually turned out work mm-hmm. having trouble put, pitching a show when all uh, Lena Dunham had to do was like write on a note card what she wanted to do <laughs> give it to HBO and they're like you have a show you know like <laughs> man when I heard, so I, I haven't watched Game of Thrones. I, I've seen like a, an episode and I, it's not for me. But when I was reading that interview, they had posted on Twitter about how the guys were like, we don't even know what we were doing. I got so mad because I feel like there's a lot of people who have really good visions, who have game plans, mm-hmm. but it's just the lack of either like knowing insiders in the industry or just a seemingly lack of accessibility that prevents them from having the same opportunities. It's so annoying. It is very annoying. I also wanted to scream 
<laughs> and, and they're still telling the story with just very much like, yeah, you know, <laughs> and we right. just made a show and the HBO gave us millions of dollars and we didn't know what we were doing. I, I just, like, I wish please stop had- saying that story. Exactly. Just don't tell a story anymore. It's very upsetting yeah. to people who are trying to create work and like jumping mm-hmm. through ten thousand hoops, and you're just like, right. well, "Well, you know, hey, whatever, no big deal." Right. Yeah, yeah. It's so easy. I don't see why everyone doesn't do it. Yeah, very, very frustrating, indeed. But back to Issa. Yeah. So we feel your pain. Yeah. Her series did win a shorty for Best Web Show in 2013, and that was the year she started working with Larry Wilmore and crafting what would become Insecure. But it took another two years. 2015 was when the pilot was greenlit by HBO. And luckily, HBO went, you know what, this is great, because now it's got four seasons, and I think they have a fifth um, planned. Yes. They they do i'm excited for it i love this show it is such masterful storytelling uh, the imagery again is just it's just i don't i've never lived in la i've only visited but it it made me want to go to la and like hang out with her and mm-hmm. well I, really, I don't know if i want to hang out with molly honestly that is like the <laughs> hate but that is how she is designed, and I think that is powerful mm-hmm. storytelling that so many people are so immersed in their friendship and invested and have very strong responses and reactions on all the social medias to their mm-hmm. <laughs> friend conflict. But that's just great, great writing and great storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt I felt tricked when I started watching it because the first season's definitely more comedic and. I'm a sucker for comedy. So I started Mm -hmm. watching and was like, oh, this is funny. I like the characters. Cool. But by the end of the first season, I'm fully invested. And then the second, third, and fourth seasons have been way more dramatic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm like, you guys got me with this drama. They did. They did. I mean, it's it's still funny, but it definitely is more of a dramatic turn in the the later seasons, which Mm -hmm. which I don't mind. I mean, I I love that show. I wish it was not. I don't mind either because they already... They already had my attention, so I went, okay, like, I have to accept it, because <laughs> I'm going to keep watching the show. It's good, because also a lot of shows, after the second season, they fall off a cliff, and you're like, well, this show used to be good. What happened? Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. This Insecure has managed to, to keep keep up the discussion, keep up the interest, mm-hmm. and just... Yeah, and introduce yeah. new characters that are also incredibly hot like i don't know how their <laughs> casting works <laughs> oh man yeah, just like they're... everyone on the show is just so dreamy they are lots of attractive attractive beautiful black people on that mm-hmm. show and well-crafted character every every character even if you even if that character only has a few lines you know their whole story based on those few lines and that is that's good writing right there mm-hmm yeah, they're all really well developed. And even like we understand why Molly acts the way that she does, but we're still mad at her for it. It's just yes, we, we don't are. it's not as if we're we're like, that doesn't make any sense. It all makes sense. It does make sense. I can't believe she messed up that relationship though. Oh man. Her boyfriend. 
ex-boyfriend. Anyway, we <laughs> like, that, but, like spoilers. Oh, yeah, uh, that that storyline. <laughs> story I was fully invested in Asian Bay. Oh man, rest in peace, Asian Bay. <laughs> R.I.P. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I do think it's uh really I, important to note. I feel like I'm recycling the same adjectives this whole episode, so I'm sorry <laughs> that I like don't have any other creative terms at this point okay. in time. But she was on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list in 2012, and even a couple years ago, made it on Times 100 Most Influential People list. Like she's just killing it every year. Yeah, I'm. She's an incredible storyteller she's an incredible creative i also like that she is working to lift up other black voices uh, she's one of the executive producers on a black lady sketch show she also supports um i think it's called the color creative and i'm sorry if it's the wrong name but it is supporting other black creatives in producing their YouTube series or producing their series. And she's involved in that as well. So I think that's also important. She, someone opens the door for you to allow you mm-hmm. to kind of add to the zeitgeist of black cinema and black stories from a black perspective. And I think we need, we need more of those so that, you know, we're not going to love everything. I know that when Insecure first came out, a lot of people, not a lot of people, some people had criticism of it and, because there weren't a lot of shows like that. So the more shows that tell different Black stories, the more different perspectives and the more options that we can have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I don't know why people want to see the same, like, teenage vampire shows and, oh, I know. you know, whatever. Like, I love the Office comedies, but there can only be so many of them before it's just, it's overdone and not interesting anymore. It's true. But it's one of those things where, again, a lot of times when you're, I mean, I'm talking like I'm an expert, like I've pulled so many pilots to networks, but from what (laughs) I understand, it's easier when you're trying to sell a show to to say it's like this with a twist. So so these people that work in the creative industry and who are the gatekeepers and who are the CEOs and executives, they're not very creative. Mm Mm-mm. In their minds, they cannot think outside of the box. So it's so refreshing when things actually do get through that are outside of the box. Mm-hmm. Especially if they're black things that are outside of the box, because that's a whole other thing <laughs> that people may not understand because it's not already out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Yeah. So do we... What do we have to say about the contrast between Julie Dash and Issa Rae? Because I think you're right that it is a part of the time period that Julie Dash is coming up, but I think it's also that there were less access to non-traditional platforms that Mm -hmm. would allow her to, to have control of her vision in the exact way that she's looking for and be able to raise the funds for it. Like if Kickstarter was around in 1991 maybe she could have leveraged her pbs money and gotten more or done something like that you know right yes agreed and it was also a lot more expensive to make something back in the day because things weren't shot digitally which is 
a little more forgiving and a little less expensive from what mm -hmm. I understand, right? I mean, yeah. yeah. Yeah, film and the processing of film um, costs a lot of money. And it's also like, you know, you can go out and get a $1,000 camera now that's pretty good, that's digital. Can't can't do that in the 90s. <laughs> no, no. It's way more difficult to make film. So yeah, more access, mm -hmm. more avenues to be able to circumvent the traditional Hollywood system. And just in general, I hope that there people are people, when I say people, I mean white people who are the gatekeepers are opening their eyes to right. the content that is is needed and is valuable. And people people do want to see this stuff. As you said, people mm -hmm. don't want to see the same thing over and over again. Like, you know, God bless shows like um what's what's a show? Uh what is that nerdy science show that was on CBS for Big so Bang. the Big Bang Theory. Like, okay, that was that was funny. That was funny, but like we, I'll reserve my comments. Yeah, <laughs> there was a lot of problems. With that, that's what I'm saying. Not, 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 so definitely not in diversity, and the one diverse character they did have, they did him so wrong. So mm -hmm. I'm I'm gonna say that, and I'm sorry, <laughs> Glory. Please hire me, for Glory. But you won't hire me. Right. You won't see me on CBS. I mean, come on. Okay, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's not what CBS is about, but. Maybe you might look at that from this episode. I don't know. Because now I'm like, oh, my God. Uh, but <laughs> oh, boy. Um, but anyway, um, I don't even remember what my point was. My brain just exploded. <laughs> I, I mean, I think a part of it was like, how many versions of the Big Bang Theory or a show like that do we need when there aren't, if there's no variety, like we – I don't want to watch that on every channel. We need something different and something new yes. that is actually new and not just here's basically the same show, but someone goes to space or whatever. Right. Yes, definitely. Also more black creatives creating these different kinds of shows. So if you can't mm -hmm. get this network to produce your or you can't find this showrunner you have other options outside of people who have worked in the industry for years that you can access like larry wilmore is available to you Prentice penny is her showrunner who has worked in tv for many years um melina matsukas uh also mm -hmm. uh her director who has worked on many things so there's more, there's more access, there's more people in the industry who are willing to listen, who are uh, people of color. And hopefully they're not, it's not just a moment in time. Because in the 90s, there were a lot of black shows on TV, like the UPN and the WB and Fox had all black shows. And then as soon as they got clout, they canceled all those black shows and... Mm -hmm you know, produce these vampire type dramas that you're talking about and cater to white audiences. You know, before we recorded, I remember that there was a whole kids show called Gola Gola Island. Oh, yes. Yes. There and was. I was like, that was a great show. And also I'm only remembering because I'm reviewing the notes I had for this episode. And it's the Gola language, you know, I was like, oh, my gosh. Yes, Ron Days, who was a consultant on Daughters of the Dusk, would go on to produce Gola Gola Island. 
Oh, I didn't know the connection. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah, I, I learned that reading about uh, Julie Dash. So I didn't know that either, but um, makes sense, right? Yeah, very cool. Makes sense. I wonder, I what do you have for final thoughts? I'm not sure I have anything to add that we haven't already said. Uh, final thoughts? Go watch Daughters of the Dust. It's one of those films that you will enjoy and sometimes you will not be exactly sure what's happening, but there's it's such masterful storytelling that you will hold tight and then when it is over you will immediately go to google so you can <laughs> like i did yes. and sort of learn more about some of the things in the film that um yeah you didn't quite understand when you're watching it or watch it twice so watch daughters of the dusk and mm-hmm. watch insecure if you haven't already i don't know why you haven't but <laughs> like if you don't have HBO, borrow your borrow your friend's login. Exactly. Sorry, HBO. And, uh. and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but Daughters of the Dust is available on Criterion Collection and depending on where you live, you can use your library card to access Canopy and watch it for free. Oh, is that what you did? No, I did the Criterion Collection thing. And now I think I'm going to be a member because there's just too many films that are classics to let go. Yeah, I also did the free trial for Criterion. And I'm actually afraid to be like sucked into a a wormhole because there is so much on there. Mm -hmm. They got me. They got me with Daughters of the Dust. And now they're going to just have all my money. (laughs) All your money. Dang. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> there's actually a lot of good content in general um out there that is different and criterion is especially good because it has a lot of indie stuff mm-hmm. that kind of falls in the same category as daughters of the dusk dust of the dusk of the dust dust <laughs> hello that's, that's, that's all right it's getting late uh, <laughs> i think it's also you know just look for content outside of what you normally watch if you're on Netflix or whatever, you know, like you don't have to watch the same type of action flicks if you are interested in in checking out other genres. It's very easy to find. Yeah, free your mind, definitely, because I, I, I do have an issue with the Netflix algorithm. This would just be a very short tangent I'm going on. but I think That's it, fine. I'm, we're ready. It pushes, it pushes certain things that you didn't ask for. So it'll give you like, now that they changed their format, it'll give you like the top 10 films, mm-hmm. I guess, that are trending. Yeah. And that they're not always good. And, nope. <laughs> and then you get stuck watching something that like everyone else is watching. We're like, well, this sucks. Why am I watching this? Mm-hmm. Versus finding <laughs> the interesting indie thing that's also on Netflix that maybe they're not pushing and promoting and it mm-hmm. gets lost in the sauce and it's, much better than I don't know Tiger King or whatever. Which I'm I did right. watch Tiger King. I'm very sorry about that. But um, I also watched it and was both interested and mad the whole time. Exactly. I mean, listen. There's some things you gotta watch just so you can keep up. But yeah. there's a lot so of I can participate in conversation. <laughs> right. So you can so you can talk to the cool kids. Yep. So I can understand memes. <laughs> right. but if you want to understand cinema and 
uh, storytelling. You're not going to get that from Tiger King. So free your mind. <laughs> free your mind. I like that. So I will share the same links, your Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff um, that I shared last time. But if you want to remind everybody or just give a, a little um, outro about how people can find you, what you're doing, where they can watch that table read if they want to next Wednesday. Oh, yes. Thank you, Tuesday. That's perfect. Yes, please follow me, Shauna Pinkett, on Instagram at Spinkett, S-P-I-N-K-E-T-T. Yes, that is my real last name. At Afro Chronicle, (laughs) also where I take pictures of my Afro, although I haven't been traveling that much, but um, there are some. You still put some. I saw some. I, I do. I do. Thank you for yeah. checking it out. Um, I'm on Twitter at my Afro Chronicle, mostly retweeting silly things. Uh, but you can also find me on the World Wide Web at spinkit.com. And I will be in a table read. It is the Downtown Film Festival winning screenplay called The Creator by Ben Everhart. It's the story about the creation of Star Trek, which is actually a story that is very interesting and very cool lucille ball actually produced star trek originally which i don't think a lot of people know Uh, she was a a female in hollywood and she was a bad bitch so Mm. oh yeah i mean if you don't know lucille ball i'm sorry for your life uh (laughs) just get to know her (laughs) her. i'm sorry for your life comedic genius And the story of the creator is actually very prescient because Gene Roddenberry wanted to create something that spoke to the Vietnam War because this was very turbulent times in the in the mid the mid mid sixties, and he wanted to talk about race and class, and he did it through Star Trek, which people did not understand at the time. Talking about valuable projects that people don't get when they come out and then appreciate them later. Mm-hmm. that is about that so check out the table read it's wednesday october 21st at 10 p.m eastern 7 p.m pacific and i don't know um i guess how will people find the link i will put it on my social medias if you want to check it out i play a white woman which i'm very excited about i play a real person that sounded weird. I play a white woman. Um, <laughs> oh, Tuesday. I'm sorry about that. Um, it's, it's I'm funny. a black person, if you can't tell from my voice. And I was cast to play the real life Major Barrett, who was an actress and ended up becoming the second Mrs. Jean Roddenberry. And she was in Star Trek, the original series. And so I'm very excited to be cast. Um, colorblind casting, I kind of don't like that word. I think it was very color conscious and I'm clearly a black woman playing a real life white person. And so mm-hmm. uh, I appreciate the opportunity and I actually love the character. So that was a very long <laughs> wrap up. I'm sorry, Tuesday, but I'm just really excited about it. And I hope that people tune in to watch this virtual table read. Yeah, you can give me the link for that too. This episode will come out Monday, so I can put it in the notes section too in case anyone's scrolling through the info and it's like, oh, let me see what that is. Yes, please. That would be so great. Make my little actor heart very happy. 
That's what I'm all about. It's just yes. making making creative hearts feel nice and warm and fuzzy. I appreciate that. And I <laughs> appreciate the opportunity to be able to be a returning guest. And uh, I'm so excited for this podcast. And I hope a lot of people listen to it. Yeah. And I think this is great. Watch all of Julie Dash and Issa Rae's work. And then we'll see you in uh, season two. And Shauna may come back in season two. Who knows? Yes. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs>